just got back from uh, fair and he was going to come over and either tug her hair in the kitchen or pop one of her balloons. And I guess Haley had this look on her face towards the door frame. And when he turned around to look, uh, they both saw this entity that was about six feet tall, uh, pale gray skin, no eyes, just like completely black eye sockets. I am looking at it right now, guys. If you Google evil in Exeter and also by the book, by the way, um, Bryce, are you ready for this? I have also Googled it and I regret it. <laughs> I regret Googling that. On today's episode of Holly Weird Paranormal, guys, we travel this time to Canada. We head out to Halifax, Nova Scotia, where we hang and speak with our friend Elliot Van Dusen. Elliot is the director of Paranormal Phenomena Research and Investigation, an organization dedicated to the collection, analysis, and distribution of all supernatural events in Canada. And while Elliot is overseeing the direction of PPRI, he's also an author. He has written two books, one called Evil in Exeter, based on a true story and field investigation involving the terrifying haunting of a Rhode Island family and supernatural encounters, true paranormal accounts from law enforcement. Yes, so it turns out that not only is Elliot a paranormal investigator, but he used to serve 15 years with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Eight of those years he spent investigating violent crimes and also some unknown mysteries. And we'll definitely touch on that within our episode. So let's all gather our salt lamps and some pops as we sit around the Chesterfield. That's a little Canadian nudge right there as we talk about the paranormal with our special guest, Elliot Van Dusen of PPRI. Let's get Holly Weird in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hey friends, please pardon the sound quality of our interview with Elliot via Skype. Um, please pardon any dings or in and out frequencies or any pauses. Uh, we are paranormal enthusiasts and nerds, not sound engineers, so we try our very best to improve that sound quality as best as we can. And we have some great news. First off, we are going to go back to our regular format of recording our episodes. Yes, straight from my dining room. As before, I know because of this pandemic and um, Bryce's job, we weren't able to do that face-to-face -face and in person. We wanted to take precaution and practice social distancing. So we wanted to say thank you so much for your patience and um, dealing with our Skype episodes, but we really do appreciate each and every one of you. And finally, we have partnered and teamed up with Manscape to introduce to you their new product, which is the Lawnmower 4.0. And here's our little promo with Manscaped. Hey guys, we're here to talk about your balls. And I think that's a subject 
that everyone is interested in. Yes, of course. Um, another thing I have to ask everyone out there is, mm. I wonder if ghosts have balls? Mm. Mm. Look, <laughs> I don't really believe in ghosts. If you've listened to any of our episodes, you know that I'm pretty much a skeptic, except if I can come back as a ghost and teabag people that were mean to me in middle school, I'm a believer. So. I'm sold. Yes, we have partnered up with Manscaped to introduce to you the Lawnmower 4.0. And if any of you follow me on Instagram or any of our social medias, you know that your girl is hairy. Yes. So when they contacted us and asked if we wanted to partner, it was an instant yes for me because, especially as we move into summer months, I need help. Yes, you want to get out of hot yeah. dad bod into like hot rad. Bod, oh, right? Yeah, I yeah do. you like that, I huh? I like it. You know, there's landscaping and there's manscaping. Mm-hmm. There's also womanscaping. So I'm trying to prepare for hot girls some myself. Hell yeah. So tell me a little bit about the Lawnmower 4.0, Bryce. Well, what I want to start with is that I have tried every option short of lasering to remove hair from my body. I am a very hairy boy and it's very hot in Southern California. The two do not mix. So I've tried razors, I've tried electric shavers, I've tried nair, I've tried waxing, and all of those come with nicks. They come with Mm -hmm. chemical burns. Girl, you don't want a chemical burn. Especially in your balls. On your balls, on your gooch. It's not cute. It's not cute. Especially on your lady bits, ladies. No. Now, imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Mm, I'm going to go with my second favorite time. Ooh, what's your first? Um, I just got a bidet over this last year, and it is life-changing. Oh, my God. I'm jealous now. But this will be number two. Wow, you bidet and now you get to manscape. That's right. It's a whole journey. <laughs> what do you like about the lawnmower 4.0, Bryce? One of the best parts is that it's engineered so that the ceramic blades are actually contoured so that they're not cutting you. That's the main thing for me is that nice. a regular razor – an electric razor, only of those metal blades, they're going to nick you. And that is not a cute look. Nobody wants to see that. With mm-hmm. a ceramic blade, it's designed with your safety in mind. This is also upgraded with a 4000K LED spotlight. It is customized with trim additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. And did I mention it's also wireless charging? The future. I know, the future is in wireless. The new wireless charging system uses electric magnetic induction, which can help battery lengths last longer. There's, you know, electric magnetic fields, and even when it comes to shaving, there's electric magnetic induction. Ugh, we're basically on Mars as it is. I know, but that does sound sexual, doesn't it? It does. Mm-hmm. And speaking of sexual, if you really think about it, if you've been shaving using the same trimmer on your face and your balls, that's not, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's you're not doing it. it completely wrong. And ultimately, you don't want to end up with pubes in your mouth unless it's like, I don't know, your Henry Cavill fanfic. Like, <laughs> And we all have it. We all have it. So no shame. But, like, let us help you. So, if you go to manscaped.com, you can get 20% off and free shipping as long as you use the code PARANORMAL. That's manscaped.com, code PARANORMAL. Groom with confidence with Manscaped. Now, let's get Holly Weird. Hey, guys. Welcome to Hollywood Paranormal. I am your host, Tammy Merhab Chavez. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell-Williams. And we have another great treat 
for you guys on this episode. Now, last episode, we interviewed Tanya Vache Imports yes. as we got Holly Weird with Santeria. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to get Holly Weird in Canada because we have a Canadian on board. That's and we right. have paranormal investigator, writer, parapsychologist, Elliot Van Dusen. Yay. Elliot, welcome to Holly Weird Paranormal. We're just so happy to have you on Thank board. Thank you so much for being here. Well, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, in the intro that I have mentioned before, you guys have heard mm. what he's been through, what he's accomplished. I am just saying that it's hard for me to finish the crochet project that I started a year ago <laughs> and a book. And after reading Elliot's bio, I really need to catch up on a lot of things. <laughs> Elliot, where do you have the time? This is amazing. Mm. I mean, everything that you've gone through and that you've studied, mm. let's talk about your journey as uh, a paranormal investigator and your beginnings with PPRI. Sure, thank you. Uh, and thanks again for having me on the show. So I've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, I started when I was, I wanna say around 16, shows like Unsolved Mysteries and The X-Files kind of got me interested in uh, the paranormal. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was always interested in law enforcement and the paranormal, so Unsolved Mysteries kind of had a bit of both. When I saw X-Files and saw the investigation of, of the paranormal, that really kind of got my, my interest in the, in the subject. So I started uh, Paranormal Phenomena Research and Investigation, which initially just started out to be myself and another investigator. And uh, we, you know, created a website back in the dot-com days and, mm -hmm. you know, offered services for free. And uh, the odd time we'd get you know, contact it with a case and we'd go out and do a little bit of investigating. And then it wasn't until around 2000 that uh, my mother actually saw a newspaper article in the paper saying that there was a parapsychologist teaching uh, a course at our local community college. So I checked it out, read the article, went online, booked myself into the course, took it, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he was offering a second course. I ended up taking the second course uh, so the first course was about apparitions and ghosts. The second course was more about, uh, you know, extrasensory perception, psychics, mediums. And after I completed both of those courses, he offered me an investigator spot at um, his organization, which was called the Center for Parapsychological Studies in Canada. And so it was there that I kind of got my experience in investigating hauntings and um some other strange cases there was a report of a black panther in an area so it was kind of like a cryptozoological type investigation wow. well and just as like time went on I, I continued to take more courses from all over uh, there was a diploma program in toronto uh in parapsychology i took that and i signed up for a bunch of other courses i've, I've studied um you know a lot through the ryan education center uh, i've gotten uh you know a course through uh, university of edinburgh I took a witchcraft course from University of Ottawa, so I just kind of, you know, bounced around and tried to tried to get as much knowledge as I can on the subject. And it wasn't until I retired in May of 2020 with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is Canada's federal police, mm. that uh, I've had the time to pursue this full time, um, you know, for the first time. That when I was a teenager, I was working, you know, jobs and going to school and doing this on the side. And then when I was with the RCMP, I was a little bit more quieter doing it uh, because there can be a stigma attached to the paranormal and law enforcement, of course. Uh, and now that I'm retired, uh, this is all this is all that I'm doing, and and 
my second passion next to law enforcement. So I, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do that. You're very lucky. That's I'm amazing. doing this part time <laughs> with, you know, whatever job I have going in the industry. Yeah. But that's so amazing that you're continuing this passion of yours. Um, let's jump into this. So you mentioned your time with the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, which I, I don't know when I say that. It just sounds so fancy, the Royal yeah. Canadian Mountain Blues. Um, it inspired you to write your, I think it was your first book, is that correct? It was Supernatural Encounters from Law Enforcement. And anything that has to do with law enforcement and the paranormal, we are here for. Because yeah. <laughs> I feel that because you guys are always, you know, out in the field, that you're seeing a lot of things that, you know, the public is not really noticing and seeing and knowing about. Can you tell us about this book and this other, I think it's the second one that's to follow. Yes. Uh, so I actually wrote uh, a book before that. It was called uh, Evil in Exeter, and it was about uh, a haunting investigation in Rhode Island. And after I finished that book, uh, my mother actually said to me, oh, you should write another book. And I said, mm -hmm. well, I said, you know, big investigations don't really like come along you know, come along every day. Um, and I said, I don't really know what else I'd write about. But the idea kind of stuck with me. And as I thought about it, um, you know, I was thinking about my career in law enforcement, which I knew was, you know, I was starting to get tired of it. And then I was thinking about the paranormal, which has, you know, always been my passion. And I've never really gotten tired of, of that. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to reach out to a few friends of mine that are in the force and some sheriff buddies and some security officers and just kind of see if they have any stories. Mm -hmm. And so I initially reached out to a few people and got a few stories. And then they recommended that I talk to some other people. And I talked to them and got some more stories. And before I knew it, I collected uh, well over um, 50 stories. And I probably worked on the book for a year. And then, of course, once it came out, uh, it was it did really well, especially around the pandemic time where you couldn't do book signings and you still mm -hmm. can't do book signings here. Mm -hmm. um, so that obviously hurts things. Uh, I, I was doing public lectures for free at the like the Halifax uh, library system. And, and of course, that's all been put to an end because mm -hmm. of COVID as well. So I wasn't really sure how the book was going to do. Um, but it ended up being pretty popular and, uh, you know, I had a lot more people reach out to me with more stories that were law enforcement. So of course I would take note of them. And then before I, kn I, I knew it, like I was kind of like caught into writing a, a second one. So, <laughs> uh, so I've got, uh, more supernatural encounters from law enforcement, uh, scheduled to come out this fall. I'm still wow. working on it. Still got a few stories. Uh, that I just recently collected, and uh, yeah, it should be good. And it, it's got a variety of stories, just like the first one. It'll have some UFO stories, some ghost stories, uh, really oh, cool wow. near-death experience, uh, an update on uh, if there's a, a Bigfoot up in northern, like north, north Canada, up in the Northwest Territories that they call the Bushman. And um, so there's an update on that. I talked to someone else that worked in the community that had a story about it. So, um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be really interesting for those that uh, enjoy the first one. Wow. It seems like you have created, you know, a very safe community and like a lot of paranormal investigation groups and podcasts, we mm. kind of, I guess, like unconsciously create this community of ours for people to come in and share their stories, knowing that this is a safe space. You writing this book and having these 
law enforcement uh, individuals come forward with their stories, because I'm sure that this is still like something that people don't, I don't know, take seriously. It seems like there's been just a flood of these stories and people who, I guess, in your opinion, I mean, don't believe in it until they finally have seen it. And then they're willing to share the story with you. Are these stories that are, are given to you, there's a certain undertone during your training within law enforcement where your direct colleagues kind of share with you? Like, do they mention a potential way of dealing with the paranormal while you're serving your community in some way? No, not really. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I was asked a similar uh a similar question like that before uh the question was whether or not law enforcement receives any training to deal with the supernatural and the answer to that is is no i've Mm. I've never seen any any sort of training you know we get lots of mental health training and lots of uh you know close quarter combat training and firearms training driving training all that kind of stuff but nothing nothing like that and I guess it's always interesting when you read, uh, especially poltergeist cases, uh, you'll read that uh, oh, yeah. law enforcement's usually called as a last resort because the family doesn't know what to do. There's items flying all over the place. So they call the police. Mm. And it seems a lot of times the police come, and when they do witness something supernatural, then they end up getting the church involved. And uh, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And the other interesting thing about law enforcement and uh, paranormal investigations is, is some places are are uh, really open to it. Um, you know, the uh, there's a police department in Rhode Island, for example, that I found one story about because on their Facebook um, website, uh, they had posted around Halloween that they had received a report of a lady running in a white dress in the middle oh of the God. night screaming for help. And so they sent two officers there. They conducted a patrol. They didn't find anybody. So they put on their Facebook. They were being mostly serious, but, you know, they kind of had a fun tone to it. Yeah, I was going to say, was it because it's like Halloween? and Yeah, because yeah, it, was, it was close to Halloween. And they just said, <laughs> listen, we got a call last night of a lady in, in white uh, screaming. Uh, we couldn't find her. If anyone else has any information about it, like, please call the department. But um, the area where the, this report was made uh is known to be haunted and they talked about um this graveyard where uh, a, a ghost that she was uh basically the the townsfolk kind of looked at her like a vampire and her name's Nellie Vaughn and oh <laughs> uh, they basically Ooh. said sometimes reports of Nellie Vaughn are seen like with her walking through the graveyard and and some people that have visited the graveyard have had run-ins and experiences with her so they said like you know, was somebody calling the police because they needed help that night or was it, did somebody possibly see the ghost of Nellie Vaughn? So I thought that was kind of cool, like, because they, you could tell they were being like serious, but like with a little bit of a, a fun twist to it. So that was kind of, yeah. just kind of neat to see that. That is very interesting that they would post something like that in regards to other people's reports. And I'm, and I know in class, like in uh, the investigative technique class that we take with Lloyd Auerbach, um, it's all about, you know, the interviews and, you know, c- the collection of these uh, first, uh, first accounts. And if they all kind of parallel that you, mm. there's something there to investigate, which, you know, something that you know we always have to take into consideration as investigators ourselves but do you think like um these potentially unexplainable calls related to locations where horrible acts of violence were committed or possibly lore is heightened 
um, when you're serving, you know, in law enforcement? I think it depends on the area for sure. Um, in the uh, in my next book there that's coming out in the fall, I had interviewed a female RCMP officer who works in British Columbia, and there's a old abandoned uh, mental institution hospital mm. that they film a lot of. Uh, they actually filmed a scene from Deadpool in it. They filmed uh, an oh, X Files sure. episode in it. Um, a lot of horror movies use the property now just to film because it's got like that historical aspect mm-hmm. to it. And uh, I know she said when she first started working in the area that her trainer had warned her of this property and just, you know, to be careful going up there because uh, film crews lock all their stuff up there and people try and break in and it's just dangerous wow. and it's got like this creepy vibe to it. And and she told me about this, this one call that they went to and uh, her freshly charged flashlight that she had charged uh, for night shift. Um, immediately died on her and there was uh, I think there were six of them that went to this place it was uh, basically an alarm call so they they assumed someone was breaking in and possibly stealing film equipment so they went there and uh, believe out of the six of them three of their flashlights uh, had died on them in in this uh, area and that you know oh my they, God. I, mean, I mean that's one that's one thing that happened that was the only thing that they said happened but they said it freaked them out kind of thing and you know whether or not you know, the flashlights just were faulty or they, they weren't charged properly. Uh, mm. You know, it's it still interesting just because the place had, you know, quite the quite the history. As you know, most, uh, you know, mental institutions back in those days didn't really treat the patients uh, properly and ethically. So it always has a lot of residual energy left at uh, locations like that. There was a video that came out a couple of, I think it was like a year ago. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was about that uh, hotel security guard that responds to a call or a complaint or several complaints about hearing screaming in a hotel room. And you can see on the CCTV camera footage that you hear screaming. He approaches the hotel uh, room. He goes in. It's no one there. He does a walkthrough, comes out, and you can see, I guess, something coming out of the room kind of following mm-hmm. him. Was that something, I couldn't remember if that was something believable or, you know, that was true or considered false? I haven't seen that specific video. No, I will uh, I'll, I will have to look for it now. Um, I, I do remember seeing uh, a video, it might have been on TikTok, of uh, a police officer or security officer going through a graveyard, and then there was uh, you know, a really loud scream or whatever, and he just kind of looked at the camera and said, nope, and turned around uh, and walked uh, away. Um, <laughs> I, I did see that, but I didn't see the one you were uh, referring to. The one thing that I, uh, like, it's different, it's different now. Uh, when I first started, like, and because people today, they still email you pictures and photographs and videos, and they want you to take a look at it and see if you see anything in it, or even a, a electronic voice phenomena, they'll send you a clip and ask you to listen to it. The only thing today, though, is that uh, the technology has gotten so good that um, it's it's hard to really give somebody some constructive feedback on that. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to say, you know, you listen to their story and see if they have anything else to say about it. But as for just based on a photograph or a video, I mean, I never really provide like an opinion on it. I just say, you know, it's interesting looking photograph or, or whatnot. But I know from, uh, you know, taking courses at the Rhine, 
that there's uh you know software out there and ghost apps mm-hmm. out there now to add ghosts to your photos um there's also that deep fake technology that's been going around i'm not sure if you've seen any of the videos but you can take like a picture from the 1800s scan it through this app and then it'll have the person in the picture move their head from side to side and move their mouth and they look real it would it's oh a, yeah it's to try and give you like an image of what they would have looked like in person Mm-hmm. And uh, during one of my uh, apparitions and haunting lectures that I do, I always show a photo of my niece and nephew because they had a picture of them on this dock, this wooden dock in front of a lake and really beautiful background and stuff. And the only thing that was real in that picture was my niece and nephew. The dock oh. wasn't real. The lake wasn't real. The reflection in the lake wasn't real. It was all digitally uh, enhanced. But to look at the photo, you you wouldn't think that you would at least think that they're sitting on the de- the dock. You might think that you know maybe the background's fake, but um, even the the dock, it was it was all green screens, and you just you you can't tell. And when I was leaving law enforcement, I, I left in May 2020. I know that uh, technological crime units were starting to have difficulty, mm. you know, even determining the authenticity of forensic evidence, like digital forensic evidence. So if oh, law wow. struggling to to prove if stuff is real then you know chances are that uh, the equipment and the software that mm. you know most most of us have access to then we're probably not going to be able to determine anything of value out of that evidence true what is real oh my god the matrix meets you know mm. skynet right there <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's getting true. crazy it's getting it really crazy. is i mean it's it, good in some ways but uh you know and uh and that's the thing about uh, the paranormal like fraud has always been rampant in it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back, dating back to the spiritualism movement and the, and the mm-hmm. med- mediums and, uh, you know, the, the days of the SPR where the uh, Society for Psychical Research started to investigate, you know, these amazing claims only to have them turn, most of them turn out to be frauds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that still exists in today's world of parapsychology, mm-hmm. just on a different level. Uh, you know, now it's kind of uh, not so much people bilking other individuals out of money now it's kind of there's there's kind of a movement to kind of see if they can trick a parapsychologist or trick a paranormal investigator with something just for fun or or Mm -hmm. what or to get views on their tiktok or get views on their youtube yeah i get i get tagged on that a lot on my social media oh look at this video i'm like this is a creator who started a youtube channel Mm -hmm. on pranks so i wouldn't take a you know with a grain of salt anything he posts you know, with great accuracy. Um, But it is true. It's like we spend so much time learning how to falsify or make these fraudulent videos that um, we forget how to debunk them. And I just learned in my, in my, um, this other online class I'm taking um, with Photoshop, my teacher, my professor, uh, because I told him what I was doing, he's like, oh, do you want to learn how to find out if a photo, uh, I guess a phantom photo is fake. I'm like, how do you do that? He's like, well, let me find one on the net. He found one. He uploaded it. He's like, you're going to go on your histogram and you're going to look at the hue saturation. If the hue saturation is high, then it's fake. And if it's really low, then it's real. And sure enough, the hue saturation on the photo, when he clicked on this, the image of this apparition, it like, like you can see on the graph, like it just zipped up. You know, and it was really interesting that there are some secrets in some ways to debunk those things. Mm -hmm. I just wish a lot of us can can start learning that instead of like creating that. But that was Mm -hmm. a good point that you brought up, Elliot, about technology and how like 
it, it's kind of like morphing what, what we as a society are, you know, wanting to see. All of us wants to see something that, you know, deep down inside we think is, um, is real because of what Hollywood has provided us. And, Absolutely. um, Absolutely. yes. And, um, you know, what we've seen in the conjuring series, which don't yeah. even get me started. <laughs> um, because we want to be close to that experience in some way. Yeah. And have you ever, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever responded to a case or investigated a case where individuals wanted to, wanted to have a, go so bad they did everything in their power possibly grab some sort of a doll off of ebay or use a ouija board or try to manifest something mm. out of nothing have you ever responded to a case like that in in your in your time um not so much uh ordering um haunted items although mm. i am i am guilty of that i'll get into a, a little story uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh great you're gonna tell us a story now <laughs> but uh i have i have had cases where um if if there is something paranormal going on that i don't believe that it it's being caused by a discarnate entity i believe that it's being caused by psychokinesis because the person um, is basically attracting all this energy mm. to themselves and, and they're manifesting, you know, the certain like little things that they might be seeing, like, uh, you know, hearing footsteps or, you know, any sort of activity like that. I have had a few cases like that where when you start breaking it down and, and a lot of it comes back to the interviews, interviewing all the people and their family members and you start to pick up on, sometimes you can start to pick up on some trends like uh, there's some family influence or mm. um, you know people are feeding into other people's ideas and it starts to kind of get carried away and then there are those individuals out there that um, you know they they want they want to to have a haunting so bad mm. uh, that if you come in and you know tell them you look I'm just not finding anything here that's indicative of of a haunting then they move on to the next organization or, or whatnot almost like they're just out to seek validation you know or find somebody that's going to validate their their thoughts and their concerns um so going back to uh going back to the uh, haunted item so um yes what did you find Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is uh I saw I saw somebody had posted on a Facebook like paranormal group that that somebody was selling in a local buy and sell uh, a haunted uh, doll, a uh, haunted monkey, and I was like okay. I was like okay that, that's kind of interesting so I, I tried tracking down the the original ad so I ended up tracking down the girl that posted the ad I think and saw that she was from Missouri so then I started looking at some Missouri uh, buy and sell. Um, items and I found I actually found it it was on uh, I think Missouri like Facebook marketplace and so I, I see this ugly looking monkey uh, I'm looking at him right now um, uh -huh. he's got a small head small baby hands uh, he's wearing like some sort of funky hippie looking socks and he's got this big fur chest so I, I read the description and it basically says uh, that they had to keep this thing locked in a trunk that um, they just want to get rid of it, uh, you know. <laughs> they only want they only want serious buyers, you know. 
so contact me so i sent the guy a message and i just said like is you know just saw this monkey like what's the story with it said his parents run uh, a flea market basically mm. and this uh, one gentleman had created this item and then died shortly afterwards and when his sisters were clearing out his house they were selling all of his stuff and they wanted to get rid of this monkey so the family that runs the flea market took it and the son took it to his house and he said that uh, he had personally witnessed the monkey turn its head from the corner of his eye once and that when him and his girlfriend would come home from work or from being out they would see they find the monkey in different locations in the house Whoa. so the girlfriend got so freaked out that they ended up putting him into this like uh treasure chest with a lock on it and then uh wanted to sell it so I went back through his posts and I took a look to see if he miraculously was selling any other haunted items or ever sold any other haunted items. And there was nothing listed there, actually. So it kind of led me to believe that the, this was a one-off for this guy, at least. Mm. So I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to risk it. I'll, uh, I'll buy it and have it chipped here and uh, set some cameras on, up on it and uh, see if anything happens. And he did say that he finds during a full moon that the, that the item be can become a little bit more active. Um, but I've, I've had him now for uh, two months, and, uh, and he hasn't moved at all. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. So nothing out of the ordinary has occurred. You nothing out of the ordinary. Yes, uh, you know, uh, I sometimes, sometimes, and I have investigated very haunted houses where sometimes a lot of stuff happens, and then it can go through a period of two, three months where nothing happens. So, I mean, it's only been two months. Um, nothing's happened yet. Uh, maybe, maybe he's recharging his psychokinetic powers. But uh, yes. He's I thinking, guess. you just mocked my socks, bruh. Uh, yeah. It's it's on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait till you go to sleep now. <laughs> I'm going to hear a lot of strange noises coming from my office tonight. Yeah. But uh, that, that, yeah, that's the only one. Because uh, there are, there, that's kind of a, I guess, a modern day type fraud that's occurring. I, I noticed is you can go on Etsy and type in haunted doll. And everyone seems mm. to be selling these haunted dolls. They call them vessels. They say that there's a soul trapped in them. You know, um, a lot of that I, I don't buy into. I don't buy it into it. It's like, like, tell me how a soul gets trapped in an item. You tell me how this occurs. Well, yeah. I don't know. I just know that I'm settling this for $500 because I need to pay my phone bill and, you know, most of my bills at home. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and it is really popular. I mean, you can go on eBay, you can go on it's Etsy, you just type in haunted object and you'll you'll get a ton of them. So it's, it's a phenomenon now. Remember um, in one of, I think it was the first week, how Lloyd was um, in his lectures was describing the items that were sold during the Victorian era of like a uh, ghost in a can, or you can actually adopt a ghost. Like people really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like There's children who need real really adoption, but sure, go for the ghost. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I don't want a live child. I want a dead one. Um, speaking of haunted houses, let's talk about Evil in Exeter, one of your books. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about this Rhode Island uh, haunting. Can yes. we can we yeah. get a little more uh, tea on that? Yeah, for sure. So um, that was uh, probably the most active house that uh, wow. that I investigated. Um, well, so active that it uh, encouraged me to write my first book. Wow. Um, but basically what happened is uh, I had met a girl on Instagram and uh, she had posted a photo where she kind of looked like Gillian Anderson. So I had just uh, commented um, 
on her picture. I said, oh, you kind of look like Dana Scully in this picture. So then she private messaged me and just said, actually, I had won like a top 10 Gillian Anderson lookalike. And she sent me like the uh, article Mm -hmm. uh, that was in the magazine. So that was kind of cool. So we started talking and uh, then uh, it would have been in uh, 2018, uh, in May 2018, I decided to uh, to fly down to uh, Rhode Island for a weekend, get a hotel, uh, could meet up with her and uh, have her show me some of the local sites so um it was really cool went around all of rhode island got to see you know the real conjuring house got to see uh the devil's footprints in north kingston there's a story behind behind those um i got to see mercy brown's grave which is right in exeter she was um believed to be a vampire back in the day uh so it was really it was really cool and um I decided to go back and see her again, and uh, this time she invited me to stay at her house, but she had warned me before, and uh, she, we got to talk about the paranormal, and she was telling me that her family's been surrounded by ghosts uh, their whole life, and they were on the, the TV show Ghost Hunters, and I actually mm-hmm. found the episode and watched it, and her story matched you know, the episode, and um so it was really cool and she said like i just want to let you know like whenever i have a guy over at the house like it seems to the activity seems to pick up or whatever and i was like i didn't think anything of it i was just like okay yeah you know whatever not too worried about it and so uh from the first time that i ever walked into the house it wasn't uh that long afterwards that i started to you know to to start witness stuff that didn't make sense it uh you know doors were opening and closing on their own locking and unlocking on their own um, oh my God! Her uh, her children didn't sleep for three days straight. They said that they could hear scratching coming from their walls, mm-hmm. and of course, um, I uh, you know being a police officer at the time, I was like you know checking everything I could to make sure like the doors were level, that uh, there was no brush or tree branches or squirrels at the kids' windowsill. Uh, you know, checked all that out. It was, you know, no explanation for it. I, I heard three distinct footsteps walk towards me one day in the kitchen. And uh, it, it got so bad that um, one night we ended up going to uh, the, the Catholic Church and getting some holy water uh, just to have on hand. And later that night at 1.30 in the morning, all of the fire alarms in the house started to go off. And it was supposed to be one of those systems where when the one fire alarm goes off, the whole house goes off. It was hardwired in. But they were going off sporadically. Like one mm. would go off in the kids' bedroom. One would go off in the hallway. It seemed to go off. Um, so after it went off on its own, then they seemed to it go off whenever you would yell at, at the entity in the house. Ooh. And they, they would only turn off, each individual one would only turn off when it was splashed with holy water. Oh my God. So I ended up catching, catching like, it was about a minute and a half clip of these alarms just, you know, acting all crazy. And we followed up with Kitty, which was the brand, uh, the following day. And they had no explanation for why they were doing that. And they sent a mm. brand, brand new, uh, you know, smoke alarms to, to install. And uh, just all kinds of other strange stuff happening, like toys uh, would be manipulated by themselves. They'd go off at three in the morning. Um, there was house flies, almost like in Amityville, like just these hundreds of these house flies just showing up out of nowhere. And Ooh. we had to buy those uh, sticky tape things, and mm-hmm. they'd be filled within minutes uh, of, of flies. And 
you would just get like physically drained in the house. Like when you were in the house, you were exhausted. And, um, you know, if you left the house and got anywhere away from the house, you'd, you'd feel more energy and just, there was definitely something in, in the house that was draining, mm. uh, all the energy out of the people and out of, you know, any sort of electronics and stuff that were there. So eventually, um, her, her son started to display some really strange behavior one day. Like he started like hissing like a snake and Oh my gosh. Uh, the, uh, the family priest that they had, uh, was actually an exorcist. Uh, his name's father, Bob Bailey, and he's been on mm. a few different paranormal shows. Um, pretty popular out in Rhode Island. So he had given some blessed medallions and it was interesting because, um, the child didn't know which, ones were blessed and which ones weren't and every time they were all put on him he would only rip the blessed ones off and say that they were from the church and he'd throw them across the floor and one night he was he was just all out of sorts and uh, we actually had a bit of holy water on the counter so we just put a little bit on his forehead and his nose started to bleed like almost like something you'd see in a movie so the next day um when they were at school uh one of the the master bedroom by a few different mediums had had felt that there was that was the connection to where the entity was or there was a portal in this master bedroom so while the kids were at school just haley and i um i used some religious uh, provocation to see if i could get this thing to respond to us and i was recording it on my iphone just the audio and mm-hmm. splashing holy water in all four corners of the house and you know trying to ask for it to you know, not ask to command it to, to give us a sign that it was there. And there was nothing. But later that wow. day, when we went to go pick up uh, her son, she said, how do you think he's going to act today? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, he hasn't been, you know, himself the last couple of days. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if the behavior continues. And sure enough, in the car, he was like scratching at us and trying to spit at us. And he was... Uh, hissing like a snake and even when we picked him up his teacher said that he was off and he you know he didn't seem like he wanted to be there and he wasn't like washing his hands like normally he likes to be like clean and he was just being like dirty and just like all these like crazy signs um that are usually uh consistent with like a dynamic case Mm. and uh so we no sooner pull into the driveway after we pick up his sister from school and all of a sudden, over the Bluetooth, uh, there was music playing from uh, Haley's phone. All of a sudden, over the Bluetooth in the car, um, her music stops. It picks up the sound clip from my phone from the Ooh. day before. And it literally starts at the part where it says, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ, give me a sign. And that's where the clip starts playing over the car as loud as it can. Like it was oh. like the volume was like on 30. So the two kids like jump out of the car and they're all freaked out. And then Haley's getting all freaked out and she's like, listen, we got to do something about this. So, um, we, we called, uh, the father, but he was not available to, uh, he had been reassigned. So he wasn't doing, uh, you know, exorcism type work anymore. Oh my God. So, uh, we ended up calling a medium in the area that, uh, was fairly reputable. Um, you know, there was no known credibility issues or anything like that at the time so she had come over and um had a bunch of different herbs and sage and stuff like that so she put it into a tin pan and lit it on fire and did her thing she was non-denominational so she they said she'd talk to her her people that she believes in um you know angels or whatever Mm. 
and uh up in the master bedroom um there was the the queen size bed the medium was over on the far left side uh towards the window Haley and i were on the right side and in between us we could um feel this cold spot and it was so cold that you could actually see like goosebumps and the hair standing up on your on your arm so i had the fleur and um the emf reader and there was no uh no radiation electromagnetic radiation coming on the detector and of course the uh there was no detection on the thermometer either for the fleur Mm which is not uncommon in paranormal cases. A lot of people feel the cold spots and they have signs of the cold spots, such as goosebumps, but uh, you actually don't get a reading. So that's not unusual. But what was unusual, and uh, there's a picture of it in the book, is uh, when I moved the fleur to the bed, you could see the, the pan that had the sage and the herbs and stuff burning on the bed and it was bright hot on the fleur because it was, you know, it was on fire or whatever, Mm. like, you know, smoking. But then all around it were these like dark blue, uh, they look like distorted footprints or hoof prints. And it was, um, it went basically up the side of the bed, around the sage and the herb. And then we didn't tell the medium what we were seeing. And then all of a sudden when it looked like the footprints had gone over to where the medium was, she spontaneously said, I feel like the presence is, is over like by me and uh which was interesting because of what we were seeing on the fleur and then uh you know she um called upon michael the archangel and and did uh a few uh her prayers and then she felt like the entity had dissipated and Haley and i kind of looked at each other and looked at her and said like well we don't feel anything different and she said it's not like the movies where you know windows are blowing out Mm. and the roof's calf caving in and and you know we're all full of scratches and half dead. So uh, you know she uh, she mentioned that she just feels like that negative energy has disappeared. And I mean, believe it or not, um, basically there's been very little activity at the house ever since then. Wow. And that would that would have been uh, that would have been around November of 2018 because the wow. book came out in uh, 20 May 2019. So um, yeah, so uh, again, it's it was an extraordinary event, and and uh, you know I've talked about it a lot on different podcasts and been questioned on it quite a bit. But uh, you know, uh, all I can say is what I witnessed, and uh, yeah. and that it was you know it was pretty pretty wild wild investigation. It certainly oh, does God. sound like it, and, and one thing that we you know, we carry with us is that human experience is that Mm. first encounter, you know, I don't know if you've been presented with this question, but do you think that the impact came from her son rather than the environment? I always like to believe, is it the environment that is impacting us or the haunting, or is it us impacting the haunting or the environment in this case? Well, I I did look at it from, especially with my training, in parapsychology mm-hmm. i did look uh look at it to see if it was a, a poltergeist um yeah. case right case of yeah. and i figured that the uh if it was then the living agent in this case would have been Haley, not so much her son uh, but but the only thing that kind of deterred me from from that was uh when Haley was a teenager she had seen the entity and the entity um there's a drawing in the book 
but we had the graphic designer basically turn the drawing into the cover of the book. So the entity mm. that you see on the cover of uh, Evil in Exeter is the entity that Haley had seen. And what happened is she was 16 or 17 years old at the time. Uh, she was with a, a boyfriend that was not so nice to her. Mm. They just got back from a uh, fair and he was going to come over and, and either tug her hair in the kitchen or pop one of her balloons. And I guess Haley had this look on her face towards the door frame. And when he turned around to look, uh, they both saw this entity that was about six feet tall, uh, pale gray skin, no eyes, just like completely black eye sockets. I am looking at it right now, guys, if you Google evil in Exeter and also by the book, by the way, um, Bryce, are you ready for this? I have also Googled it and I regret it. <laughs> I regret Googling that in the very deep part of my heart. Oh. My God, that. So that oh was that was the entity that uh, she had seen. So in poltergeist cases, you don't see entities, and if you do see entities, they're usually like a distorted black uh, blob or mass, is what uh, people have reported. But generally, you don't see an entity because a poltergeist is not any sort of discarnate entity. Um, so there was that, and then again, take it for what it's worth um there was three separate mediums that could all describe a similar looking entity that was attached to Haley. so i'm I, looking at her um your picture on this book because you guys look really cute by the way on the back of this book i mean yeah she's a cute girl of course this thing would get attached to her so <laughs> i could see it like claiming its territory like ooh. no you don't you won't do you won't do it all yeah, and it, it, it and it was it was it was strange too because there was another incident with that same boyfriend. Um, uh, they got into an argument upstairs at their at her parents' house, and he uh, was he turned around to like walk down the stairs, and then all of a sudden something pushed him. He actually thought Haley had pushed him pushed him down the stairs, but it was the entity presumably, oh. and uh, the father was sitting downstairs in the living room in his chair, and he saw the guy fall down the stairs because he said like none of his feet actually hit any steps it was like he just oh kind of like forcefully levitated down the stairs oh my God. Um, so it was almost it was strange it was almost like part of the entity was like kind of protecting her in certain ways but then other parts of it were making her life like a living hell so mm. it was it was a really interesting case for sure uh, yeah, I could see why this would definitely inspire you to write a book because mm -hmm. I'm sure there are many cases like Haley out there that they don't understand what it truly is. And can you, with you know, with every fiber in your being, say that it was demonic? Or I noticed you use the term negative uh, entity. Yeah, because I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure if I. Um, if I would say that it was dynamic, uh, even when we talked to Father Bailey, he said, based on the description of this thing with uh, no eyes and just the blackness, he said uh, if it's not a demon, then it would at the very least be what he considers or the Catholic Church considers a damned soul. <laughs> and that damned souls need to be uh, treated just like a, a demon. And, uh, you know, parapsychologists believe that when somebody passes away, a person passes away, that their personality stays the same. So if you were a mean son of a gun in real life and then passed away, 
it's assumed that you will still be that same person, you know, that same human consciousness in the afterlife. So whether like whether this thing was was dynamic or whether it was just a very mean spirited uh, entity, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yes, we like to throw the term us as a society because we don't get it, but because like we are influenced, but we've seen uh, portrayed in Hollywood that everything that is that we can't explain and that is negative is never a negative entity is always demonic or, or from the depths of hell. But really, it, I mean, I feel like if your life was in jeopardy or you would have seen probably the walls bleeding or whatnot, then mm. yes, it could have been, you know, what it was. But it, like you said, I believe like it could have been something most likely negative and that just got attracted to Haley and, her her energy and her aura and her being so who knows but that is such i i mean a crazy experience are you and Haley still together or are you guys no uh, we're not uh we uh we were only together a short uh a short time um and then uh we were actually broken up i think by the time the book came out but uh you know we have a business relationship mm-hmm. and and uh you know she's 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 fine she hasn't had uh, any issues at the house um she runs uh, her own uh her own like cover band uh, in Rhode Island and and uh, her and the kids are doing well and uh That's yeah good to hear. it's good to, yeah, like- it's, it's good to see that um they actually you know that they got the help and 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 that mm-hmm. they haven't had any issues cuz you always hear stories of these amateur ghost hunters that come in and they do more damage than good and they don't really actually help the family yeah, to come in with their equipment and they take some pictures and they get some readings and then they leave and just say like, oh, I don't know. And then they just, they're gone. And the family's left dealing with uh, the mess because I always thought, you know, as a parapsychological investigator that it would be really cool to live in a haunted house. But uh, that case taught me that that was something very stupid to wish for because uh, mm-hmm. I actually found when I would come back to Canada, um, it felt like a break. Like it was like, uh, I finally get like a break from the paranormal kind of thing because wow. it was just so much activity and like it drained you. And I mean, you'd see like the family get really upset and they're like, you know, like, why is this happening to us? And, oh. you know, how come no one can help us? And, you know, so you're left searching for answers and trying to trying to help this this family, like legitimately, rather than, uh, you know, getting a request for your website to just go tramp through somebody's, you know, house and take pictures and the usual stuff that kind of happens. Exactly. That is something that in my journey as an investigator, um, and this is, I don't know if you want to like kind of tread on this too, and I want your input on it, but I was always told that there is a difference between an investigator, a paranormal investigator, and a ghost hunter. Hmm. And that, you know, paranormal investigators are more skeptic. We're there to debunk and not to prove anything. Unless it is unexplainable, then we'll come forward and say, hey, this is there's something here and we really hmm. can't explain it. To where ghost hunters are there for more of the urban exploration and their, their self-justification of what is hmm. out there. Um, you know, can you explain to us in your in your personal opinion, um, you know, those differences and for anyone who wants to portray or, or, you know, go on this journey of, um, being a paranormal investigator, what is it that you need to take in and learn before getting into this field? 
Yeah, those those are all really good points for sure. Um, I mean, certainly, I would recommend taking some sort of uh, you know reputable course that you can just to learn about what parapsychology is. A lot of people don't even know what parapsychology is, mm. but it's a study of extrasensory perception, mind matter interaction or psychokinesis, and survival right. of bodily death. So. Um, you know, UFOs and strange creatures like Bigfoot and stuff like that, they don't, it doesn't fall under parapsychology. Um, but a lot of these, you know, groups and, and my group as well, like we'll look into other phenomena as well that's outside of parapsychology. Mm. But it seems to be the most that we get contacted about are hauntings, which is my favorite subject anyway. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely like the Ryan Education Center is a spot for people to uh, start taking some courses. They're, they offer a field investigators course and they also offer an advanced field investigation course. So they're both really good to kind of understand, um, you know, how everything works. And FYI, guys, Elliot and I are taking <clears throat> that course together, and it's really, it's amazing. <laughs> it's great. Like, I highly recommend that you look into that. And, and it's good. And I mean, like, yeah. these these guys are, you know, they, they stemmed from Duke University's parapsychology mm-hmm. laboratory. Uh, they have some of the best experts uh, come in here. And, uh, you know, Paul Smith uh, teaches their remote viewing. He's, he, he worked on Project Stargate for seven years. You got Lloyd Auerbach, who's been a parapsychologist for at least over 30 years for sure you got john uh croft that teaches you know certain like he's doing my research uh methods uh parapsychology course right now um i mean that guy has a lot of experimental parapsychology experience so it's it's definitely worth going somewhere's uh reputable to kind of get that background and then if you have that background, I think you just kind of have that educational piece with you. So, for example, what I notice um, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter a lot are these ghost hunters, like you described, that are going out to like local land spots, abandoned places, graveyards, stuff like that. And uh, a lot of them do it just for fun and whatnot. And they're trying to contribute. Um, mm to the paranormal community like they're you know they're capturing like electronic voice phenomena and pictures and videos and they're uploading it and sharing it which is all positive stuff but you have to kind of know like what you're getting into and and i do see a lot of people that go to a place to capture what they think is an electronic voice phenomena and you know they they call it evidence or proof mm. that the place is haunted but we don't even know what evps are there's four different theories on what it could be uh, one, and you know, this is the one that we all hope it is, is that it's a discarnate entity trying to communicate with us through a recording mm-hmm. device. Mm. The second one, um, which I actually met a paranormal investigator that actually had this happen to her, uh, Michelle DeRoche, uh, who does a radio show up in Ontario, and she's a paranormal, very well-known paranormal investigator up here. She actually said she had a case where she was extremely worried about her daughter who was at home sick with her husband and she kept saying it in her head. I got to get home to my daughter. I got to get home to my daughter. And they're sitting at the table meeting with the client doing an initial interview. And when her uh, partner that was with her later reviewed all the evidence from the home, like the photographs and the audio, they actually captured her thought on the tape. Um, which is one of the other theories of EVPs is that you're catching, um, through uh tele like telepathy mm-hmm. you're you're catching um a response from either the investigator the homeowner or somebody else that's present 
And so we know that that can happen because, uh, you know, I know someone personally that it happened to. And then, of course, uh, there's the theory that it could be some sort of uh, radio interference or some sort of cellular Wi-Fi interference Mm -hmm. being intercepted on the tape. And um, I actually had a case where somebody had contacted me through face. They were chatting um, using the voice recording on Facebook Messenger with their friend. And they ended up capturing like this really weird, gruff sounding voice. And so he sent me the clip Mm. and I had uh, a friend of mine that um, was part of the technological crime unit with the RCMP. I had him analyze the audio and the best guess that he could uh, come up with was that um, it was some sort of interference. It didn't look, it didn't look like it was faked. It didn't, um, you know, it didn't look like it was manipulated in any sort of way. It literally looked like it, it was some sort of like interference or crossover uh, conversation that was recorded for some reason so you know evps are they're nice if there's other things in the environment happening that you know like for example like if uh, the people saw an apparition and you're there and you know you, you witness something happen and mm-hmm. the temp- you got temperature drops like either you physically feel it or you have it recorded on your equipment and then you capture like a, an evp like all that together is a lot better than just going out and and uh, you know capturing the sound and uploading it and saying that it's a ghost because the fourth uh, theory is that it's uh, audio uh, pareidolia, which is mm. our brain is designed to, and it's the same with uh, visual as well. Uh, pareidolia is that our brain is designed to make sense of stuff. So when we mm. hear a strange noise, we try and put meaning and context to it and it's the same with a picture like you can look at the clouds and and you can envision it looking like a dinosaur or looking like uh, a bird flying or whatever because our brains are wired to make sense of imagery and 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 sound so um that's a lot of stuff you don't see those ghost hunting groups explain when they're Mm -hmm. posting that they just post it saying you know, really cool voice recording and this is what it is kind of thing. But you don't actually see them try and explain like the science behind it, I guess. Mm. Right. And if they try, some people are like, no, I think that that that's a ghost. You're like, no, I'm trying to explain that it could be other things, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you're always going to get those people. I, I still see the photos as well um, of the uh, orbs. They, you know, they call them. Oh God. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they always, they always talk about ghostweb.com being the, mm. the starter of that. Uh, you know, they actually teach it at the Rhine. It was uh, Sharon and Dave uh, Oster that started ghostweb.com, and they were having people send in their photographs. And unfortunately, most of the photographs that were being displayed at that time, and this is like we're talking like late 90s, like when I first started investigating, um, you know, it's been proven to be like dust, uh, water droplets, uh, the strap in front of the camera lens, a finger in front of the camera lens, uh, smoking, uh, mm-hmm. fog, even your breath. Uh, I actually took a picture of my dogs one night. I was outside. It wasn't that cold out or it didn't feel that cold. And I couldn't see my breath. And I took a picture of the two dogs outside. It was at nighttime. So when the flash went off to, to capture the two dogs in the photo, it was actually missed, like what you would see in like a ghost photo kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so the first thing I thought is I'm not thinking like, oh, there's a spirit around mm-hmm. me and my dogs outside of my front step. I'm thinking like, okay, it's like obviously that's my breath in the air that I can't see. But uh, just because of the, the way that the camera uh, flash had hit you know, the air at that time, that that's what it captured, so. Right. right. 
And that's how you, that's how you really analyze guys. This mm. is how you analyze photographs, especially with photographs of orbs. I was sent, I remember I was sent a picture a while back of this girl. Uh, she was taking pictures and she um, was saying, look, look at this green uh, dot on the camera. And I think it's my dad. I really think it's my dad. Like, what do you think? And, and I was just looking at him like, that's actually a, it's a picture glare. And I had to send her like this article of like, you know, what picture glares look like from our, you know, iPhone cameras. And she kind of had a hard time mm. accepting that because she really wanted it to be, uh, I guess her dad, you know, she missed him so much that this is what she wholeheartedly wanted so bad. For me to confirm and I, I was like I can't I can't confirm that I'm sorry like I'm showing you proof that this is actually technical error this is something that is common when you take photographs so yeah, yeah ab absolutely and uh and I mean that's um that's one thing like we had we had talked about earlier is that uh you know that was probably somebody that was looking for validation right that uh you know that it was her dad to, to make herself feel good and that's also the you know the caution um, that I give people as well. I actually had a friend post on Facebook not too long ago looking for a, a medium because I know this this friend has a, a hard time dealing with um, a family member that had passed. But, uh, you know, that kind of goes back to, um, you know, the, the 1800s of parapsychology. Like, that's why people sought out mediums uh, was because they were grieving and they wanted to communicate with a loved one. And you've got people out there that will take financial... Um, advantage of, of people in that kind of situation so I always uh, you know I always uh, tell them to be cautious and mm -hmm. I actually gave her the website for the Winbridge uh, Institute uh, because they test all their mediums um, there and so does the Rhine actually I think the Rhine and Winbridge test them both so as far as those two organizations are concerned they're fairly credible um, individuals so if you're going to reach out to somebody um, you know, you might want to go through one of the ones that have been kind of certified, I guess they call it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is uh, you don't have to be afraid of doing it over the phone because obviously some of these mediums are going to be in certain states or locations and not you're not able to go there. But there's been studies that have been done that show, you know, extrasensory perception is not limited by distance. And one of those studies was the Pierce Pratt um, study that they did mm. uh, at Duke University um, where they were able to determine that they were having really good success rates on um, testing ESP and it didn't matter how far the distance was so you don't have to worry about it not working over the phone per se. Wow. We have 10 more minutes and I wanted to introduce you, um, introduce to everyone PPRI Elliot. Mm. Can you explain to our audience what is PPRI, what you guys have done, and what was your most credible investigation out of PPRI, and what's to come for PPRI in the future? Yeah, for sure. So I started um, Paranormal Phenomena Research and Investigation in 1997. Like I said earlier, it was just two of us, and we eventually grew to be quite large. Uh, we had, at one point, over 100 members uh, from all different places, um, we ended up having a chapter in uh, Boston, Nova Scotia, British Columbia, Ontario, and I had a really good investigator in Australia, so there was kind of like an Australian chapter. But wow. as I found, um, and I saw it with the RCMP as well, because it's a federal police force, and 
It has, uh, you know, close to 20,000 staff members and it's very rank structured. But I found the same thing as well with PPRI is that the organization overall is only as good as the people you have running it. So you really relied heavily to have really good sounding, you know, state and provincial directors. And if they had like some radical beliefs or whatnot, they're going to pass it on to their investigators. And that's just not going to be as solid of a chapter as, as you know, the, what I wanted it to be, I guess, at the end of the day, since I was the director. Um, so we decided to get away from the, the chapter model. And now we just have a small team of subject matter experts. So there's two parapsychologists, myself and Daryl Walsh. And then uh, my co-founder, Spencer Collier, has a technology background. He's a web developer and a marketer. Mm. Um, my fiance, Sarah Crawley, is our chief financial um, officer for the organization and uh, an investigator. And Mike Shaw and Chad Murphy are two of my investigators. And then my uh, future brother-in-law, Andrew, is retired Canadian Air Force and oh. uh, used to run his own group when he uh, lived out in Western Canada. Um, so he is also one of my investigators. So there's seven of us in total, very small team, uh, two in the New England area and the rest of us uh, in Nova Scotia. So we cover Atlantic Canada and the New England states. We're non-profit, so uh, we're free. All our services are free. We'll travel to anywhere in the New England area and Nova Scotia. We will travel outside of that if uh, – you know, if clients were willing to at least pay for travel and accommodations and meals, because again, we are nonprofits. Um, we're in the process actually of uh, getting charitable status. So that's going to be a lot more administrative paperwork on my end to do that. But, um, you know, we're really trying to push the educational aspect in parapsychology. So we're trying mm. to get charity status, uh, you know, in Canada. And um, part of the educational uh, agenda that I have planned for paranormal phenomena research investigation is to create an introduction to parapsychology course um, because there's obviously a very high demand for it right now. And um, I've taken so many different courses that, uh, you know, um, I used to actually help Daryl teach his two courses later on at the Nova Scotia Community College. So it's something I enjoy doing and it's something that I'm passionate about is getting that proper education out there and dispelling myths. So um, we're working on that. We're also working on, this is going to be in 2023 now because uh, COVID delayed it, but we're trying to do the Halifax Paranormal Symposium where we want to have um, two days of lectures, about an hour and a half lecture from experts in all kinds of different fields. You know, like wow. you might have Lloyd Auerbach come talk about uh, poltergeists and you might have um, Tony Spear from New England Society for Psychic Research come and talk about demonology. You know, oh, that cool. that kind of uh, that kind of uh, feel to it. Uh, we want it to be, you know, a world class event. Uh, so there's a lot of planning involved in that. Uh, we had to bump it to 2023 just because of the, all the COVID stuff and there's so much planning, planning involved in it, but that is something that, um, that we're, we're working towards. Um, other than that, uh, we, we are, we have one investigation on the go right now. It's been fairly quiet, but, uh, you know, we are doing one investigation and, um, we, uh, you know, once we get that charity status as well, we're hoping that, you know, we can start doing some like some crowdfunding things to try and generate that, you know, some revenue for uh, for the organization. Because right now it basically uh, comes out of mine or Spencer's 
pocket basically uh so um it uh yeah it'll 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 be good uh you know to kind of keep keep it going and and now we're I'm kind of managing it full time and that's my full time job now uh, I have wow. more time and effort to put into it so I'm um, so happy to know that your passion is fully yeah. manifested, Elliot. That's so amazing. Yeah, that- it's cool. A lot of a lot of people don't get that opportunity. So, like, no. I, I think it's uh, you know I'm very lucky that I'm able to do it, and uh, that's why I want to take uh, you know PPRI to the next level, get that charity status. Uh, uh, our website's fairly new. Uh, Spencer just launched it um, late last year, maybe or maybe even early this year. Um, you know, we, we try and post, uh, well, we post whenever we're doing podcasts on there so people can go on and listen to it as part of our educational agenda. Wow. And, mm-hmm. uh, anytime I write any sort of papers, uh, like Ryan, um, you know, two of the courses I took from Ryan get you to write uh, a paper at the end of the course. So I always, uh, you know, upload those once they're done as well. So I wrote a paper on psychokinesis uh, for theories of psi and I wrote, um, uh, another paper, um, I think it was on a phenomenological study for, um, one of the, uh, one of the research course type courses, I think. So, you know, we try and put up whatever we can that's reputable, uh, and, and we also call out certain things that aren't reputable, you know, like, uh, I posted this week, uh, an investigation I saw where somebody had just posted a video on, Instagram and basically talked about it being evidence of the paranormal, but there was like no background story to it at all. It was like, uh, mm-hmm. you could see somebody ducking down, like they were zooming in on a tombstone and you can see oh. the reflection in the back and you can see somebody ducking down. Uh, but there was no description. It didn't say like who else was in the graveyard. It didn't say how many investigators were there. It didn't say any follow up that was done. And then the next day I found another article. Um, which was really good. Like the, the people went in, they did their investigation. They talked about, uh, you know, what they thought was kind of strange, what they thought they kind of ruled out. And I thought it was, you know, a better article kind of thing. So I, I usually try and draw people's attention to, you know, to hokey stuff and to also legitimate studies. That's what it's all about. And mm. hopefully for our audience and, you know, paranormal enthusiasts, people who want to really, you know, portray something in this field or be involved in it, you have to understand it starts with education. And that was something that I learned, you know, to be honest, like Lloyd probably would be a little upset about it, but I didn't know about it. I didn't know Mm. that there are all these institutes out there that provide Mm. you with a lot of credited information and education. And it's because I learned everything or thought everything that I saw on television is how you are Mm. supposed to, you know, apply it in the field. And that is something that I, I didn't, I don't know. It it just felt, it didn't feel right in my stomach. And I had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions, especially when I would go investigate with other individuals, like, Oh, what does this happen? Or, you know, what is the whole purpose of the SLS? Like Mm -hmm. what, where is it getting the information? And when people couldn't explain that to me, I'm like, okay, well there's some, there has to be some sort of explanation for this. Mm -hmm. And eventually you know, I, I heard about Lloyd and his studies and his lectures, and I heard a lecture of his, and I was like, done. Like, I have to take a class at the Rhine Institute with Lloyd, and it just answered all my questions. So that is something that I expect everyone to do, and definitely mm. go check out Elliot's Institute PPRI. Nice. Elliot, where can people find more information about the Institute? Where they where can they reach out to you if they have any questions or want to get you on their podcast, where can people um, reach out to you? 
Yeah, the, probably the best the best spot is our website, which is uh, ppri.net, and uh, it's got our contact information on there. Like I said, it's got some resources on there. We just created a resource section, so it links to um, any university courses uh, that I find um, that teach para, you know parapsychology type courses. Mm-hmm. I put those on there. I've got the Ryan Education Center on there. Uh, I've got other, you know, reputable organizations in case like you're over in the UK, for example, you want to get in touch with the Society for Psychic Research. So it's really good resource wise. Uh, like I said, I put I put news articles on there when I can. Um, and it's got a link as well to uh, under our store section. Uh, it's got links to um, our books like mine and Daryl. Me and Daryl are the only two uh, in the group that have written books. Um, but it's got uh, links to like Amazon and mm. and some of the publisher websites that you can order copies of uh, of our books from as well. Uh, Daryl's books are uh, really good if you're from the Maritimes. It covers off a bunch of different ghost stories uh, from all over uh, the Maritimes. Um, he's got two. He's one is. Just ghosts of Nova Scotia, it's called, and then the other one's called Canada's Haunted Seas and Shores, and it's about pirates and ghost ships because we have, uh, you know, like Nova Scotia is home to Oak Island. Oh, I bet. Oh, yeah, the wow. curse of Oak Island. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, we have a lot of phantom ship sightings and stuff like that here. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, uh, there's there's a lot a lot of stuff uh, from our website that uh, people would find interesting for sure. And we thought that Holly weird is weird, but uh, Canada, <laughs> Nova Scotia is weirder. You guys got pirate ghosts, well, so does San Diego, but you guys have a lot more over there going on for sure. <laughs> we do, we do. Uh, well, Nova Scotia stands for New Scotland, so we have a lot of uh, you know British and, and Scottish and Irish history. Uh, so Nova Scotia is a bit of everything. It's got ghost stories. It's got uh, mythical creatures. Like I said, uh, we investigated a case of a black panther. Uh, before it's got, uh, so crazy. Cape Breton Highlands, it's got, um, fairies. There's, there's stories of fairies, but fairies are also common over in Scotland. So it kind of makes sense that that folklore has kind of carried over. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a really neat place to, uh, to do parapsychological work for sure. Mm. I'm definitely going to go over there once this uh, pandemic really, really caught, like calms down. I know it hasn't calmed down over there where you're at. You guys are on your second or third or fourth lockdown. And hopefully things will get better for you over there, Elliot. But it seems like you're doing, you're, you're making waves, man, online. And I'm just so happy and honored to be, you know, in a class with you and to be sitting here with you, chatting with you. Yeah, well, I appreciate, again, like I said, uh, you guys uh, have me on the show. I like to pop on the odd podcast here and there and uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, just try and clear up some of the misconceptions in parapsychology. And that's where you, and that's how you know when you're a really yeah. good uh, investigator and parapsychologist, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Elliot, for being a part of our podcast. Thank you so much. And getting no Holly weird with us. And we hope to have you back on yes. soon so you could tell us more about these legends and lores and cryptids and hauntings and phantom ships in Canada. I'm all about this now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Anytime you want to come, just, uh, just let me know. I'd, I'd oh, love- most likely. Well, I will definitely see you in class tomorrow morning because <laughs> tomorrow we have our third uh, our third week of our courses. Yeah, three or four weeks. So I know. We're almost there. But I want to continue taking more. And I'll definitely look into taking one of your classes. Think mm. so. Let me know. Yeah, for sure. For sure, I will. Uh, I want to create some more other than just intro to parapsychology. Uh, it just 
it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than I thought. So uh, mm -hmm. I'll start with this one and we'll see how it goes. Well, we'll definitely be rooting for you, Elliot. Thank you so much yeah. once again, guys. And take awesome. care. Bryce, do you have anything you want to say? Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Another huge thank you to our friend over at PPRI. That's Elliot Van Dusen. Elliot Van Dusen is the director of Paranormal Phenomena Research and Investigation. And if you want to learn more about PPRI and what they do, you can head on over to their website, which is www.ppri.net. Be sure to check out his books, Evil in Exeter and Supernatural Encounters, True Paranormal Accounts from Law Enforcement on Amazon.com. You can purchase them in the Kindle or paperback form. You can also follow up with what Elliot is doing because he has quite a few projects coming along and we'll touch on that very shortly. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at PPRI Inc. and EK Van Dusen. He's also on Twitter at PPRI Inc. and Van Dusen 98. Speaking of projects, he's coming up with his second installment of Supernatural Encounters, which is called More Supernatural Encounters from Law Enforcement, and it's a new book that will be released in fall of 2021. He also has a podcast that will be released very shortly, and it's called The Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast with co-host Daryl Walsh. He is also conjuring up an online class in parapsychology called Introduction to Parapsychology, which he hopes to deploy in September of 2021. So if you follow him on those social medias, and if you start listening to Dueling Parapsychologist podcasts, then you'll know when to sign up. And trust me, Bryce and I will probably be the first ones in line. Also, as another reminder, don't forget to check out our partners over at manscaped.com. Be sure to use the code paranormal to save 20% off products and also get your free shipping because free is a really good thing. And since Father's Day is right around the corner, guys, they definitely have some pretty dope products to purchase for Father's Day. I know I have a few already in my cart because shopping for my dad's a little difficult. He's a little particular, but when it comes to his grooming needs, I know for a fact that manscaped.com definitely has him covered. And if you have a few more minutes guys to spare just a just one or two minutes if you can head on over to apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review it would help us out tremendously it helps us indie podcasters become a little more visible helps us become a little more known if you want to stalk us on our social media then you can find us on facebook instagram and tiktok at hollyweird paranormal and twitter at hwp podcast we also have a website yes we are grown adults you can find us at w www.hollyweirdparanormal.com and there you can shop through our merch store find our Hollyweird Paranormal gear also get cut up of past episodes and seasons and you can also click on that little Patreon link because that will definitely take you to our Patreon page yes we're going to segue to Patreon territory if you want to become a Hollyweird producer you want to support the Hollyweird Paranormal podcast then you can do so by heading on over to our Patreon site or through our website if you head on over to Patreon you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Hollyweird paranormal and for as little as one dollar or more per month and you can schedule it for one two three or four or five months however many months you want to support our podcasts 
a little does go a long way and we're so appreciative of what you guys can donate you can do so and you'll be gifted in so many amazing little gifts we have pins we have stickers magnets and even coasters cute little coasters to rest your iced coffee or tea on while you're listening to our podcast of course and not to mention you'll also be given a little shout out and speaking of shout outs we do have one new member a part of our patreon squad and that is tara patterson thank you girl for joining and thank you so much for donating another thing too another cool perk is um we also have another podcast in relation to our patreon that's our secret podcast and that's called the saturday night ghost club and this is a podcast based on actual ghost stories that i've collected these are true ghost stories true accounts from my neighbors acquaintances my family members friends even like my dog groomer i got my hairstylist sharing an experience of a haunted farm that she lived on in the midwest i mean it's all there and it will definitely make you sleep with your salt lamp on, maybe a circle of salt around your bed. So your mom's probably going to be wondering where all the salt is going. It's because you've been listening to this podcast and it's really, really scary. Like Bryce can't even like fathom to listen to some of the episodes because we all know how Bryce is. All right, guys, till next time, we hope that you are staying safe, that you're staying healthy, and most of all, that you're staying holly weird. Till next time, friends, take care. And we'll talk to you later.